And welcome to this edition of Worcester Talking Newspaper, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and a recording on Tuesday the 26th of January 2021. I'm Elizabeth Hill and recording is John Plush. Uh, the clerical work will be being done by Carol Hartwell and her team. So, um, music is by Sheila Joins, and we don't have the thoughts for the week, unfortunately. But may I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners. We hope you enjoy our offering, which we hope will inform, educate and entertain. We have emergency telephone numbers, the thought for the week, and we will open the birthday book. If we don't have yours, please let us know. Then we'll have the headlines from the past week, sunrise and sunset times, and obituaries after the final music. So the service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If you would like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, W-Y-L-D-S, in Worcester, W-R-5, 1-D-A. And I do have to extend thanks to Jean Edwards and Ida Hewlett for recent donations. Thank you very much. We are very grateful. Uh, I'm now going to uh, give you some telephone numbers which may be useful. Uh, talking, Worcester Talking News, it's Worcester, which is 01905 767766. NHS Direct is treble one. And for out-of-hours medical assistance, that's between 6 and 8 p.m., it's 0300 12 double three, two, double one. The Worcester Hub is 01905 765765. Crime Stoppers is 0800 treble five, treble one. And if you need some help, Worcestershire uh, County Council Here to Help line is 01905 Seven six eight zero five three, and it's option three. There is much news, of course, about the uh, pandemic, and I will include two or three articles uh, about that. Um, but as you may imagine, much of it is um, about that. But I've tried to uh, find some stories that are away from that. Uh, in addition to the newspaper recordings, of course, this is just a reminder, we record a magazine and have an extensive library of talking books. If you would like a book, please put a note in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 But as I always say, please be aware we're not there every day.
We do like to hear from you, whether it's a complaint, not too many, please, a compliment, yes, please, or an observation. Put a note in your wallet. And of course, if you are interested in accessing talking books, again, uh, putting a note in your wallet uh, is, is really the best thing to do, probably. So I'm now going to open the birthday book. Who has a birthday this week? Well, on, on the 4th of February, actually, it's Joan Johnson. And uh, so we wish Joan a very happy birthday on the 4th of February. Brilliant. So this week's headlines. And just remember that we are recording from uh, a Wednesday to the following Tuesday rather than Thursdays. So last Wednesday, the headline was Council's £28 million plan to regenerate city. COVID mass vaccination centre set to launch. 15 die in care home tragedy. County among the best for vaccine jabs. Waterworld in Worcester. And friend, in inverted commas, stole £10,000 from nursery boss. The sunrise is 7.56 and sunset is 4.56. So the days are thankfully getting a little longer, which is great. So to the first headline story. A huge multi-million pound bid to transform parts of Worcester, including hundreds of new homes, a new medical centre and training facilities, as well as shops and restaurants, will be made to the government later this month. Worcester City Council has revealed plans to regenerate several parts of the city, including the tired Shrub Hill area. Plans include redeveloping the first bus depot site in Padmore Street into 350 new homes and 2,000 square metres of commercial space. The ageing Isaac Maddox House site in Shrub Hill Road would also see a new enterprise centre and up to 100 homes built. A new walking and cycle route between Shrub Hill Station the planned regeneration area and the city centre would also be created. Worcester City Council said it will submit a bid to government's £3.6 billion towns fund at the end of January, setting out how £28 million could deliver long-term economic growth for the city and aid recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. The council also said the work would act as a catalyst for business startup and growth, providing a range of co-working and individual business spaces alongside a training and business hub to help residents and small businesses evolve business ideas into real opportunities. Last year, Worcester was one of 101 towns across the UK to be given the opportunity to create a town investment plan and pitch for funding. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of Worcester City Council, said, We are living in unprecedented times, but as our town investment plan demonstrates, ambition and commitment have never been in short supply here in Worcester. 
We are confident that the plan we are preparing to government will produce a strong platform from which we can create more jobs and develop better life chances for local people. We have consulted extensively and this plan reflects a wide range of views on how this could be best achieved. Councillor Adrian Gregson, Deputy Leader of Worcester City Council, said, Worcester is a city of many strengths, but we also have considerable challenges too. This comprehensive plan will invest in training for all and provide more opportunities for our deprived communities. It will also expand Worcester's tourist economy by enhancing our heritage assets and investing further in the riverside. As we recover from the pandemic, this plan will ensure that the city and the people who live here can benefit from long-term sustainable growth. The former Worcester News Building in Hilton Road will also be converted into a facility to house nursing, physiotherapy and medical training, including an anatomy lab for between 50 and 100 students. The site will also include a GP practice, as well as on-site therapy and rehabilitation clinics. A second building block centre would also be built in Dines Green, building on the success of the existing facility in Warnden, which hosts workshops developing DIY and building skills, including bricklaying, plumbing, plastering, tiling and woodwork. The plans also include new walking and cycling routes throughout the city. The new Keypax Bridge across the River Severn from Gullivelt Park. Secure cycle storage and a city bike hire scheme that would include electric bikes. Worcester City Council's Policy and Resources Committee met on Monday the 25th to discuss the plans. And the next headline story is about coronavirus vaccination, where um, in Worcester, a new site was expected to open imminently. St Peter's Baptist Church in Eden Close was earmarked as a mass coronavirus vac vaccination centre in November. Documents seen by the Worcester News said the site would be ready for use as a centre as early as Monday, November the 30th but it has yet to open to the public. The Worcester News understands that final preparations are being put in place for the site to open in the next couple of weeks, with staff seen readying the location in recent days. A source said, staff have been finishing off the final preparations to make sure the site is ready for a safe and secure launch. In the meantime, local primary care networks and GP surgeries have been delivering vaccinations to patients from locations such as Turnpike House. A spokesman for the Herefordshire and Worcestershire Clinical Commissioning Group said that no further detail has been announced by the government and that these are being announced nationally. However, the Worcester News understands that an official announcement is expected imminently, with the site expected to be open within the coming weeks. The church is one of two Worcestershire venues designated under the plans, with the former Artrix Theatre in Bromsgrove being the other expected to open in days, and in fact that has done so. 
It's understood vaccinations would be delivered by NHS staff and that care home staff and residents, plus workers and patients in primary care facilities, such as hospitals, would be prioritised. And the next story is about care home tragedy, where 15 care home residents have died after their home suffered a major outbreak of coronavirus. Perry Manor Care Home said the deaths of residents who had tested positive for COVID-19 had happened in recent weeks and also confirmed a small number of other residents have also died from other causes. 33 members of staff have tested positive for the deadly virus. The home, which is based in Charles Hastings Way, is now working with Worcestershire County Council and Public Health England. Those people infected are isolating and visiting is restricted to essential visits only. The statement from Care UK, who managed the home, said none of the staff members with COVID were seriously ill. Most were asymptomatic, with most staff now back at work after their isolation period. The home said it had followed very stringent infection prevention and control protocols and been working closely with county public health partners to minimise the risk of further infection. David Ashbolt, Care UK's regional director, said, I would like to send my condolences to the families and friends of those who have lost someone from our home in recent weeks. We are all saddened by the losses and everyone is in our thoughts. I would like to pay tribute to the team at the home who have done an incredible job in very difficult circumstances. Many have tested positive and been self-isolating, so colleagues have been working extra shifts and taking on whatever tasks need to be done. Not only have they provided top quality loving care to residents, but have also worked tirelessly to reassure relatives where they can and keep them up to date with news. The team has been touched by the kind messages and gifts that they have received from relatives and the local community. I would also like to say thank you to all the local health protection team members and our GP, Dr Maggie Keeble, for their support and advice. The statement from Care UK said the home had plentiful had a plentiful supply of PPE and all the necessary sanitation equipment, with team members fully trained in all aspects of its use. The home added those residents who were well and not returned a positive test had been vaccinated, as well as half of the care home's staff. Dr Catherine Cobain, Director of Public Health for Worcestershire, said, Our thoughts and condolences are with the families of those who have passed away. Unfortunately, it is a real reminder to us all that COVID-19 remains in our communities. Outbreak management procedures are being followed. Cases are isolating and visiting, restricted to essential visits only. Multi-agency support has been provided to the care homes since the first positive cases were identified. Staff at the home are working hard to ensure residents are receiving the highest standards of care, 
They continued to prioritise the health and safety of all the residents and staff. Care homes remain a key priority for our outbreak control plan in the county. They are a high-risk setting with vulnerable people, and we know COVID-19 is highly infectious in such enclosed settings. On Saturday, the headline story was about the vaccine in uh, vaccination. Worcestershire's coronavirus vaccination programme has been ranked as one of the best in the country, with more than three quarters of the over 80s already receiving their first jab. The most recent NHS data available says 76.2% of people aged 80 or over in Worcestershire and Herefordshire have received their first vaccine. A total of 37,609 over 80s were vaccinated between the 8th of December and the 17th of January. More than three quarters of the 49,360 people aged over 80 in both counties. Uh, the percentage was the third best in the county behind Gloucestershire and Northamptonshire. Figures show Worcestershire and Herefordshire also has the best figures in the country for the percentage of under 80s vaccinated. A total of 39,872 people aged between 18 and 79 have received their first COVID jab in the two counties, which is around 7% of the adult population. The percentage is higher than any other part of the country, according to NHS England figures. Simon Trickett, Chief Executive of NHS Herefordshire and Worcestershire Clinical Commissioning Group, said he was delighted with the over 80s figures. Thanks to the incredible work by the teams responsible for planning and delivering the vaccine, we currently have the highest vaccination rate across the Midlands region, he said. Over the past few months, we've seen the very best of the local health and care system, with everyone working together as a single team and everyone playing their part. The data released on January the 21st is a fantastic illustration of how successful that work has been through this initial phase of the vaccination programme. Reaching those remaining residents remains our highest priority over the coming weeks, as well as continuing to offer the vaccine to those over 70 people in care homes and our health and social care workers. We've still a long way to go, but with even more vaccination sites coming online soon, we'll continue to make rapid progress in our fight against this virus. In the meantime, I want to thank everyone for the time, effort and patience they have put in to keep themselves and others safe. Dr Gemma Moore, GP at Ombersley Medical Centre, said, Our primary care networks and GP surgeries are working tirelessly to drive this programme forward and we're grateful for the continued support of our patients as we do so. Worcestershire residents can continue to help by adhering to the lockdown rules and not contacting their local GP surgery to request a vaccine but waiting until they are called forward to receive it. Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said 5,500 staff, which is around 85%, had received their first jabs. 
Dr. Jason Seward Harry, GP at Barbourne Medical Centre, said the success in bringing the R number down has largely been due to lockdown and the rollout of the mass vaccination programme. GP surgeries are running vaccination clinics, including at weekends, and all clinical staff have undergone training on both vaccines. All eligible patients will be invited for an appointment. You don't need to contact your surgery for this. And that is um, a frequent message. Don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> so last week it was the weather. Uh, last weekend it was the weather that we were hit by. And we were battled by the elements uh, with snow and flooding first. Flooding came first, didn't they? Both hitting the region. Saturday saw flood water wash down the Severn, putting areas including Hilton Road and Diglis underwater. Fortunately, the effects of the floods were not as bad as those seen in February 2020, which saw widespread chaos with roads closed and residents marooned. Sunday saw a sudden blitz of snow, with many across Worcestershire waking up to wintry scenes, with several county roads closed. Worcestershire County Council's team of gritters and snowplows was out throughout the day, clearing the roads and getting drivers moving again, though more snow was still expected over uh, this week. The wintry conditions saw Worcestershire residents out and about enjoying the snow, with many going out to build snowmen and have snowball fights. The Yellow Met Office weather warning remained in place, however. Uh, Monday was uh, very cold and then most areas fine, dry and bright. But Tuesday to Thursday, we'll have seen a few wintry showers gradually turning more unsettled and milder from the southwest, with cloud wind and outbreaks of rain and some hill snow. A Worcestershire County Council spokesman on Twitter said, our gritters fitted with snow ploughs have been working round the clock and will continue to do so. And it became down to, the temperature went down to minus six. So they were advising only essential travel. And so I think by the time you get this recording, it will all be over. So today's headline, January the 26th. A nursery boss says she can never forgive the friend of 20 years who stole more than £100,000 from her while she was battling breast cancer. Jane Myhill was a trusted friend and confidant of Alice Bennett, MBE, for more than 20 years, working as the bursar for Worcester and Madrasfield Early Years Centres, where she was well paid for her role. However, the greedy 55-year-old Christian rewarded Mrs Bennett's generosity and loyalty by stealing from her when she was at a low ebb in her life. The grieving founder of the successful nurseries had lost both her parents and been diagnosed with breast cancer. In Easter 2017, during the period of the thefts, Mrs Bennett was diagnosed with breast cancer in the morning and attended her mother's funeral in the afternoon, all of which My Hill would have known. As previously reported, 
My Hills stole £102,000 from the award-winning Children's Day Care Nurseries, which opened in 1994. And the Madrasfield Centre has received six outstanding Ofsted reports. The Worcester Centre in Malvern Road, Lowick, was opened in 2015 on a working dairy farm and received an outstanding Ofsted report in 2018. Mrs Bennett even created a plush new office specifically for My Hill at the Worcester Centre, although her employer became increasingly suspicious when the door was often kept closed. My Hill appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court where she admitted theft by employee, which involved £27,456, which occurred between April 2015 and August 2019. My Hill further admitted theft in Malvern between January 2015 and October 2019, this time involving £74,721, also stolen from Mrs Bennett. Mrs Bennett had trusted My Hill completely and accepts she had been preoccupied with her personal problems. I feel utterly, utterly betrayed because I was a good employer to her for over 20 years. I looked after her. At the particular time of these thefts, I was struggling for my life against breast cancer. Just when I needed her the most, when I trusted her, she took advantage of the situation horrifically. In my hour of need, she betrayed me big time. The sense of betrayal for all my staff has also been overwhelming. The 65-year-old said, My Hill had been given a beautiful new office in Worcester. Mrs Bennett said she also provided emotional support to her when the defendant's father died, when she had a skiing accident, and when she encountered other personal problems. When the thefts happened, Mrs Bennett was still grieving after losing both her parents. Her chartered accountant father, Elmer Cookson, in 2014 and Mother Mary in 2017. Her breast cancer treatment required a mastectomy, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. It was at this time, Mrs Bennett says, that My Hill started to steal such large sums. When she returned to work after treatment, Mrs Bennett, mother of four and grandmother of five, felt ill and weak but also was aware that something was wrong when she saw my hill. I could not put my finger on it, but our relationship had changed. I think it was the guilt eating away at her, said Mrs Bennett. Little did she imagine that her close friend was stealing from her on such a large scale, using the interface between the software that produced the invoices and the stage accounting system to fiddle the books and siphon off the cash to line her own pockets. Mrs Bennett described how My Hill was a Christian who attended Malvern Priory, but that her former friend had used her Christianity as a cloak, spreading gossip about Mrs Bennett being a bad employer. Mrs Bennett added, she has shown a total lack of remorse. This woman just took advantage. That's why I can never forgive her. Suspicions were confirmed when My Hill did not pay a sum of money into the bank after it arrived at the Worcester office. When challenged, 
the defendant stormed out in what Mrs. Bennett described as a humiliating shouting session. My Hill branded her employer a bully, said Mrs. Bennett, who described her former employee's behaviour towards her as horrid. My Hill also refused to hand over the key to her desk, so Mrs. Bennett had her handyman break it open. When forensic accountants were brought in, Mrs. Bennett was told that My Hill left the perfect digital footprint of her crimes on the accounting system Sage, a system the business no longer uses. Mrs. Bennett now has a new accountant and insists there were checks and balances and that My Hill's control was always restricted to the current account with no access to payroll or the management accounts. When confronted with the evidence of her thefts at a later meeting in September 2019, My Hill admitted everything which led to her instant dismissal. She had the cash in her handbag and threw it back at us. It was about £650, said Mrs Bennett. On Thursday, magistrates were told by My Hill's advocate that the thief intends to pay the money back. In response, Mrs Bennett said the business could do with the money back as soon as possible, as the business has suffered because of the impact of COVID-19 pandemic. My Hill also stole the cash at a time when the fledgling Worcester branch of the business was still making a loss because it was so new. The Worcester business was only three months old and she was already stealing from it. She had many, many devices for taking the money. It was like running another business for her. She was very clever and skillful. That's why she's so dangerous, very plausible, very manipulative. Myhill was living in Cowley Road in Malvern. However, her new address was given in court as the Croft in Cromer, Norfolk. Now that Myhill has moved to a new area, Mrs Bennett says she wants people there to be aware of what she is capable of. I don't want anyone else to take her on and to do the same to them and suffer in the same way we have, she said. Mrs Bennett understands that My Hill invested in Bitcoin and paid for luxury goods from upmarket companies using the stolen cash. To rub salt in the wound, My Hill even showed Mrs Bennett around a kitchen that she now believes was paid for using cash stolen from her. She seemed to delight in making other people jealous of how much she had, said Mrs Bennett. However, despite the financial loss and effect of COVID-19, Mrs Bennett says the business is resilient, well-managed and sustainable, which she attributes to the family of amazing staff. With an annual turnover of £2 million, the business employs 120 staff across both centres and 400 families rely on the services they offer. Despite the shock of what happened, Mrs Bennett insists she is more enthusiastic than ever about education. I love it. It's my passion and my life's work. My passion is to change children's lives, to give them the best start that I can, she said. Tributes have been paid to a young rug rugby player who has died after battling cancer. Worcester Warriors women paid their respects to Jessica Pardo Alvarez. Jessie's energy is infectious and she was always making. In a post on their Facebook page, the team said, 
It is with great sadness that we have learned of the passing of Jessica Pardo Alvarez, a member of our Centre of Excellence. Worcester Warriors would like to send their condolences to Jess's family, friends and teammates and everyone who had the honour and privilege to have Jess in their lives. She will be forever missed and as one Warriors family, we are determined to keep her spirit and memory living on. We will continue to honour Jess by wearing blue laces and we will be fundraising in her memory. Jess, then aged 18, was one of the first recruits for the Centre of Excellence back in January 2018 and was described as an extremely popular member of the group. A club statement from October when she was diagnosed with cancer read, Jess's energy is infectious and she was always making players and staff laugh. As a natural team player, her ability to praise people around her when they do things well is a quality that is too often underrated. The club also announced at the time that staff would continue to support Jess and her family bracket, um, in quotes, through these challenging times, while also holding fundraisers in line with COVID regulations for the Matt Davis Foundation, a charity which helps people aged between 18 and 30 and their families cope with the impact of a cancer diagnosis. A little bit of COVID news, the city's infection rate has continued to fall according to latest figures. Worcester's infection rate dropped below 600 for the first time in almost three weeks. Um, the rate was 598.7 cases per 100,000 people in the week up to January 21st. The last time the infection rate fell below 600 was on January the 2nd, having nearly tripled from figures in the low 200s before Christmas Day. The rate in Worcester peaked at 814.1 cases per 100,000 in the week up to January 8th, but has been mostly falling since. A total of 2,747 cases were recorded in the week, down by just over 14% on the previous week's figures. The latest rate in Worcestershire is also the lowest it has been since January the 2nd. I think that the figures are quite difficult to get one's head round, but um, at least that is an update. So, in the aftermath of the storm Christoph, flooding came to Worcestershire. Not to the level of 2020's floods, which saw large parts of the county devastated, but some localised floods were reported and flood barriers went up. Photographs sent in by Malvern Hills District Councillor Peter Watley showed flooding on the A44 at Doddenham Barns with a collapsed drain causing excess water to flow onto the nearby buildings from the road. He said the issue should have been fixed months ago, calling on Worcestershire County Council to take action. He said the situation is sadly typical of issues caused by lack of regular maintenance by Worcestershire County Council highways. Residents' properties and daily lives are being affected by this issue across the county. It's time highways stepped up to their responsibilities and had a proper plan for regular drainage maintenance and repairs. 
but responding to his comments, Worcestershire County Council Highways Department spokesman said they were aware of some drainage issues and were continuing to work with local members and liaison engineers to resolve the issues. And there were many roads which were flooded. Councillors have defended a new parish gates after some voiced scepticism whether they will work to stop speeding. The gates are the latest deterrents being tried to solve the long-running battle against speeding in Plantation Drive in Warnden villages. One of the main causes of the speeding is understood to be that the 30 mile per hour road comes directly after a bypass and drivers have got used to a higher speed. Earlier in the week, the new gates, often seen in approach to villages, were installed and some on social media had welcomed them but others questioned their effectiveness, with comments such as they would not stop a boy racer in his courser. Stephen Hodgson, Warnden Parish North City Councillor, who reviews speeding issues in his role as a parish councillor, said, These parish gates were ordered a while ago, but the parish council hasn't been able to install them until the footpath works were, in, were completed. Plantation Drive is prone to speeding. Hence, I have placed our own VAS sign, which is a type of speed camera there. Analysis from the data from these signs show approximately 10% of drivers break the speed limit. Hopefully, the gates will have an impact and slow traffic down. It is a wide road, so the gates give the impression of it being narrower, and that causes people to slow. It's psychological, that's the purpose. The funding for the gates has come jointly from Warnden Parish Council and the county, county divisional funding supplied by Warnden Parish's County Councillor Andy Roberts. Mr Roberts said, it was inevitable, not everybody would be pleased with it, but I just hope it has a bit of an effect. It has only got to lower the average speed by two or three miles per hour to have a significant difference. The councillor said what worried him were the cyclists and walkers who regularly cross Plantation Drive. If the traffic goes as fast as it does down that road, it presents a problem, Councillor Roberts said. The gates give a warning and the idea then will be to present other things in the future, such as a sign to warn people are crossing and something on the road to remind people to keep their speed down. If people think the gates are an awful idea, I'm sure we won't see it in other locations. Gas workers in Worcester Square next month look likely to bring disruption as a one-way system is put in place. Contractors Balfour Beatty are due to start work on Saturday, February the 13th in Britannia Square. The work is set to last nine days and will take place in three phases, with the clockwise one-way system running for the duration. Diversions will see traffic using Braemore Road, Moore Street, Lovesgrove, Castle Street and the Tithing. There will also be disruption this week uh, in Worcester Streets. Work by Seven Trent Water beginning on uh, Monday the 25th um, 
in White Lady's Walk, we'll see a partial closure of the street for three days. Um, and it would be closed from its junction with White Lady's Close to its junction with Lansdowne Street. Roadworks by Worcestershire County Council are also set to begin in Gillam Street and expected to last five days. Part of Farrier Street will be closed overnight or were closed from uh, on Monday overnight. And a 50 mile per hour speed restriction on the A4040 Crook Barrow Way uh, will have come into effect from Tuesday the 26th and it is expected to be in place for almost six months. The limit affects the road from its junction with the Whittington Road roundabout to its junction with the Broom Hall Way roundabout in a westerly direction. Arts organisations in the city could be facing an uncertain future because of the way the council has changed how it awards funding, a group has warned. Worcester Arts Council, which was set up to promote arts in the city, received a £3,500 yearly grant from Worcester City Council, but has said changes to the way funding is awarded means many organisations, including itself, could miss out and has called for the decision to be reversed. The Arts Council has awarded grants to numerous organisations over the years, many of them amateur, to help purchase much-needed equipment or protect them against making a loss on a production. Worcester Arts Council Chairman George Squires said the changes to council funding meant the organisation may not be able to operate as it had done in the past and would put many city art organisations at risk because they would be unable to secure funding. As a result of Worcester City Council changing the way towards grants, Worcester Arts Council may not be able to continue to operate. During the last three years alone, Worcester Arts Council has supported a number of projects costing the council £9,000, from which at least 10,000 people in Worcester have benefited, he said. £9,000 over three years to support more than 10,000 people in Worcester would seem to represent good value for money. The changes to the awarding of grant money in 2018 mean outside organisations must apply to the Worcester City Council Small Communities Grant Scheme for money. The money supports community groups and voluntary sector organisations to deliver projects and are targeted at benefiting people who live in Worcester. Worcester Arts Council said the main issues were that it was not a community groups or voluntary organisations and did not deliver projects and its main focus was to enable other organisations to deliver projects. A council spokesman said we remain keen to work with Worcester Arts Council so that it can continue to deliver services across the city and would welcome further conversation to better understand how Worcester Arts Council could benefit from the range of grants. A concerned employee at a city supermarket is upset over being asked to pause the NHS Track and Trace app whilst working in some areas of the store, despite this being in line with government guidance. The employee works at Sainsbury's in St John's, but has asked to remain anonymous over fear they may lose their job. 
they said last week they posted track and trace posters around for staff and it's got everyone really upset and concerned. They are asking us to pause our track and trace app whilst on the till, even though the plastic screen only covers a little at the front and back of you. It doesn't completely cover you in a protective bubble. The poster also said, if you leave your phone in a locker, pause it in case another phone in the next locker could be told to isolate if it believes close contact has been made. It's not gone down well within the stores at all. It seems they don't want any, any more people isolating, which is a growing problem at the moment in all stores. It is very concerning. The spokesman for Sainsbury's said, our colleagues are encouraged to download the app in line with government guidance. We also ask that colleagues pause this while their phone is not with them, such as in their locker or while working behind a perspex screen. According to the government website, once workers have downloaded the app, it should be left on as much as possible. However, there are some specific workplace scenarios where you should pause the contact tracing feature. These include when you're working behind a perspex screen and if you are putting your phone in for storage, such as a work locker, and will not be on your person but it states it is important to turn the contact tracing back on as soon as you're not in one of the above scenarios. For example, when you retrieve your phone from your locker. It also says employees should facilitate and support employee use of the app within their workplaces wherever possible, while recognising that the app is not mandatory. Historic green space will be saved and turned into a country park as part of the plans to build 500 homes in a victory for campaigners. Huge new plans for Middle Batten Hall Farm show the land being turned into a 77-acre country park next to 500 homes. Campaigners Middle Batten Hall Farm Land Action Group, which is MB, FLAG, have fought tough battles with developers and the council for a number of years to protect the space, but has compromised with landowners on a plan that would see homes built, but also the historic land safeguarded. The group said it sees the plans as a balance between allowing development and protecting the land they have fought so hard to preserve. The master plan says the country park would include a two kilometre walking loop with various zones of wetlands, meadows, ponds, orchards, woodlands, wildflower, grasslands and other low maintenance uses that promote wildlife and tranquility. Up to 500 homes would be built around the new park towards Upper Battenhall Farm and next to New College Worcester and Whittington Hall as part of the major development. The space, dubbed as one of the city's green lungs, was left out of the current South Worcestershire Development Plan in 2016, but plans for development were reignited two years later, when the owner of Middle Batten Hall Farm answered a call for potential development spots as part of a council review of its main planning blueprint. The review of the SWDP 
the council's prime planning strategy, which sets out Worcester's housing needs and which areas can be developed on, has already been delayed for more than a year due to the coronavirus pandemic. A spokesman for MBFLAG said, we are extremely grateful to the landowners for inviting our community group to work with them at such a very early stage on a local master plan. This joint approach has provided a unique opportunity to achieve the local community's aim of protecting this valuable heritage site and wildlife habitat and making this accessible to the whole community by the creation of a new country park and informal green space for public use. This has been balanced with provision of development around the periphery outside of the scheduled monument setting. We hope that the council also supports the master plan and that the country park becomes incorporated into the SWDP. This will then also facilitate provision of much needed housing without unnecessary harm for our city's green lung and sensitive heritage assets. MB Flags said it had been hard to designate the land for community use in the past because it was difficult to access. It is this new connectivity, the new country park walking loop and separation of these functions with considered connectivity that allows the scheme to work harmoniously to facilitate development while permanently preserving and enhancing Middle Battenhall Farm in a way that promotes wildlife habitat and provides informal green space for the public to enjoy and utilise, the group said. The homes would be accessed from the Swinesherd Way roundabout through Bannetry Field. A new care home and small shop is also proposed and new car park and cafe also built for visitors to the park. New routes would be also created, including a walking and cycle route to the east onto Whittington Road towards the island near the Swan, allowing direct access to Whittington C of E Primary School from the new homes. Scott Winard, agent for the landowners, said, This is a very exciting development as it is a community-led approach, which in itself is quite unique. It helps to protect what needs protecting. It will enhance the green space and biodiversity, providing public access and new cycling and pedestrian routes in a managed way, connecting other communities. We are proud to be working with the Extra Care Charitable Trust to deliver much needed elderly care facilities within Worcester City. Housing will be linked to the business park with an emphasis on walking and cycling connectivity. I'm now going to open Memory Lane. Um, this is from 1986 and is entitled Rocking Back the Clock. If today you saw the film Rock Around the Clock, you would find it amazing to believe that 30 years ago, and that's a few more now, I'll leave you to do the maths, it sent young people into a state of frenzy. This black and white celluloid feature would seem pathetically tatty and attained to modern audiences. 
But back in 1956, it somehow sparked a feverish response from the youth of the day in Worcester and the Western world. It brought from teenagers and others in their early 20s what was described as rowdyism and insulting behaviour. And older folk were quick to condemn rock and roll as the theme music for juvenile delinquency. Yet, in truth, what was all this unruly behaviour? Nothing more serious than young people dancing in the aisles of cinemas and singing and jiving in the streets. Police baton charged a thousand rock and rollers driving in the centre of Bootle, Lancashire, after seeing the film, while several arrests were made in South London as 300 youths began dancing in the streets after pouring out of the Elephant and Castle cinema. Dozens appeared in court next day, charged with insulting behaviour. A few days before Rock Around the Clock arrived at the Gaumont Cinema, the film critic of the Worcester Evening News and Times warned, Worcester, beware. Be prepared for excitement next week when this remarkable American musical comes to town. Youngsters will no doubt thrill to the music, but it is to be hoped they will not resort to such extremes of conduct as have happened elsewhere. So Michael Grundy says, as a junior reporter of 17, he was sent by the news editor to the Gaumont on all six nights of the week the film was shown to watch out for any incidents. And he and the newspaper were not to be disappointed. But first, just a bit of scene setting. Rock Around the Clock had virtually no plot and was mainly a series of music and jive sessions featuring the father of rock and roll, Bill Haley, and his comments, plus the Platters, Tony Martinez, and his band, Freddie Bell and the Bell Boys, and Johnny Johnson. This, for everyone's amusement, is my report, which appeared in the Evening News and Times of Tuesday, September the 11th, 1956. And he writes, or he did write, that crazy rock and roll rhythm hit Worcester with a bang last night when even police intervention failed to quell the enthusiasm of about 40 teenagers who persisted in rocking and rolling in the aisles. Soon after the film had started, these youngsters, boys and girls, driven seemingly almost into a frenzy by the insistent tempo, led, let their feelings go as they swayed and threw each other around in dance. Their behaviour proved too much for the cinema staff and the manager, Mr Arthur Davids, was forced to call in outside help. In walked a sturdy police sergeant and a constable and immediately marched out three youths in Edwardian suits. Brackets, we weren't allowed to call them teddy boys then. Many of their friends, seated in the back rows, decided to walk out in sympathy. Silence descended on the packed audience, but only for a few minutes before youngsters were dancing in the aisles again and more were ejected from the cinema. Many of the audience made efforts to move away from the vicinity of the rowdy teenagers and one woman who left the cinema told me it was one of the most disgusting, noisy exhibitions I have ever seen. It is about time some of those girls and boys learnt to grow up even so, clapping to the music and dancing continued throughout most of the film, 
As she left afterwards, one 18-year-old girl told me, that music really gets you. You just want to keep swinging and swaying. It's great stuff. On other nights of the week, similar scenes took place and the police were on hand to eject offending youngsters. It all feels very distant in memory now, and I'm sure many a cinema these days would welcome having packed houses and youngsters dancing in the aisles for musical extravaganza. A fitting footnote to the whole affair is offered by a front page report from the evening news of September 15th, 1956. The rector of St Martin's in London Road, the Reverend A.P. Taylor, has refused to allow teenagers to hold a rock and roll jive session which had been fixed to take place in his church hall. Asked for his views on the new dance craze, so popular among young people, the rector said, It is not our job to lay down laws for other people, but it is our job to uphold higher standards and I do not in any way consider that rocking and rolling comes into that category. Oh my goodness me, days of yore, 50 years ago. <laughs> so back to the news. 30 used tyres have been found dumped in a city cemetery by flytippers. A spokesman for Worcester City Council, which cleared away the tyres at Astwood Road Cemetery, said... There was no excuse for it. He said we were disappointed to find that 30 tyres had been dumped in Aswood Road Cemetery over the last fortnight. They've now been removed by staff. Fly tipping is a finable offence, and particularly whilst Worcester's household recycling centres remain open. When we contacted the cemetery, nobody was available for comment. It comes a week after a worker at the Household Recycling Centre on Bilford Road called for the introduction of a booking system after a colleague was spat at when he turned a vehicle away in order to limit the number of people at the site due to coronavirus safety regulations. Derek 67 said just after the first lockdown there were cars queuing on Bilford Road to get into the tip and we were asked to turn these cars away. And someone in their vehicle spat at my colleague when he turned them away. Things have got worse with the new variant of COVID. And when I went back to work during this lockdown, I was told by a colleague that some people were not taking it seriously. He told me he had been seeing people coming to the tip three times a day. And I saw the same on the day I worked. At times, every car bay was full. It becomes difficult for people to socially distance. There have been times when we have had to turn people away. Most people are great and appreciative that we are open, but some, like mentioned, have been aggressive. Worcestershire County Councillor Tony Miller said, the council are currently working to ensure staff at the site feel safe while at work but he said a booking system won't be implemented. Under the government's new lockdown rules, people in England must stay at home and only go out for essential reasons. Members of the public can report fly-tipping incidents to the council online at www.worcester.gov.uk forward slash report hyphen it.
A Worcester-based provider of social housing and care services has signed up to support a county community event this summer. Sanctuary Group is set to, set to sponsor an elephant sculpture for Worcester's Big Parade, an eight-week public art trail that will add a splash of colour to city streets, parks and public spaces. A Wild in Art event being brought to Worcester by St Richard's Hospice, the trail will also help raise funds for patients affected by life-limiting illnesses and their loved ones. The project builds on the hugely successful Worcester Stands Tall Giraffe Trail in 2018, which saw giraffe sculptures displayed across the city before raising £210,000 for the hospice at an auction. Sanctuary Group Chief Executive Craig Wall said, As a local employer, we have a proud history of driving investment into the city and supporting local community initiatives. So we're delighted to be a part of Worcester's Big Parade. Events like the parade have a wonderful ability to bring all sections of the community together. And we are sure the beautifully designed herd will get everyone smiling again. Large elephants will be joined by around 35 calf sculptures designed and decorated by students and teachers in local schools. The baby elephants will also be on show for the eight weeks during the trail. Sarah Matthews, Business Development Manager for St Richard's Hospice said, we're absolutely delighted to welcome Sanctuary Group to the parade as a new sponsor this year. It's a brilliant employee engagement opportunity for local businesses. And we're sure the Sanctuary team will take great pride in their elephant and being a part of a truly memorable community event. While all elephant calves have now been adopted by local schools and community groups, a few large elephant sponsorships remain. And to get involved, people can call 01905 763963. A muscle-bound gym thug who knocked a drunk man out during a brutal, unprovoked attack in a Worcester nightclub can be seen posing on Facebook wearing skimpy shorts. Tattooed Jake Turrien, a personal trainer and former Worcester student, has been photographed in a gym in just a pair of shorts under the name Jake Smythe. The 21-year-old launched a series of rapid-fire punches during the attack in Alexander's Bar in Worcester, ending the flurry with the uppercut which knocked his victim unconscious. The clubber came round and felt like his face was hanging off. He later required dental surgery on a twisted wisdom tooth and had to be immobilised on a spinal board at Worcestershire Royal Hospital after the attack although no injury was subsequently detected in his back. On his Facebook page, Torian describes himself as an elite online trainer and nutritionist, which was also how he was described by his barrister in Worcester Crown Court when he was sentenced. The judge ordered a three-month doorstep curfew rather than an electronic tag, so Torian could still appear in his online fitness videos as a PT during lockdown. He was also ordered to pay £2,500 compensation to his victim. 
Torian told his barrister that being fitted with a tag would affect his business massively and that he offered one-to-one personal training in the early hours. Although the country is already in a state of lockdown, the judge argued that the curfew, which runs daily between 8pm and 6am, would come into its own once it had been relaxed. Judge Tyndall also suspended his eight-month prison sentence for two years following the attack on March 17, 2019. Outside court, the suited defendant, who now lives in London, and his mum confronted the reporter after taking exception to him attempting to take Torian's photograph, which unfortunately came out blurred. Torian told the reporter, Why are you taking my picture? And you can't do that. His mum demanded that any photo of her son be deleted immediately. The former student also complained to court security, who informed him that the reporter was just doing his job. Torian then emerged and told the reporter, You're a bum. I'll bet you don't even have a wife. Judge Tyndall accepted that PTSD had been a trigger for Torian's behaviour after the victim bumped into him in the busy bar area. He told Torian, who was of previous good character, it's that factor, together with what I accept is your genuine remorse in the case that saves you from prison. Judge Tyndall argued that it was appropriate to suspend the sentence. This attack was the result of a perfect storm. You were struggling at university. You have subsequently completed a course of cognitive behavioural therapy and present a low risk of danger to the public and a low risk of reconviction, said the judge. And in fact, there is a photograph of Jake um, looking very muscle-bound and rather, rather cross with tattoos across his abdomen and his chest looking actually quite scary. Uh, More than 30 firefighters tackled a severe fire at a primary school in Droitwich after it broke out in the early hours of Monday the 25th of January. The fire service remained there throughout the day to ensure the blaze did not reignite. It is not yet known how the blaze began and fire investigation officers are currently trying to determine how the fire started. Head teacher of the school, Kath Bryan, described the blaze as devastating but said she was thankful no one was hurt. She said, it is with great sadness that I have to inform you that there has been a fire at school overnight. School is closed to all students and staff until further notice. We're thankful no one is hurt and we'll keep you informed as things develop. Thank you for your support at this time. I had also thanked the fire service for their support. She added, Thank you Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service for your quick response in dealing with the overnight incident at our school and your ongoing investigations. Area Commander Aid Elliott said, Upon arrival, our crews were faced with a single-storey building which was well alight. Fortunately, the fire has now been brought under control by firefighters. He continued, We're still dealing with the incident and will remain at the scene today. 
I'd like to thank all of the emergency services and other agencies for their hard work throughout the night. Ambulance and police also attended the incident and Ombersley Way was closed off, but has since been reopened. Um, here's a reminder, it isn't particularly local news, <clears throat> but it may be something which you may or may, may not um, need to know. And it's about tax returns. <clears throat> Self-assessment customers will not receive a penalty for late online tax returns if they file by February the 28th, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs has announced. The revenue body is still encouraging anyone who has not yet filed their tax return to do so by the January 31st deadline, if possible. Anyone who cannot file their return by then will not receive a late filing penalty if they file online by February 28th. Taxpayers are still obliged to pay their bill by the 31st of January. Interest will be charged from February the 1st on any outstanding liabilities. HMRC's Chief Executive Jim Harrow said, We recognise the immense pressure that many people are facing in these unprecedented times, and it has become increasingly clear that some people will not be able to file their return by January 31st. Not charging late filing penalties for late online tax returns submitted in February will give them the breathing space they need to complete and file their returns without worrying about receiving a penalty. Mystery surrounds a noise so loud it has rumbled houses in Worcester. Worcestershire County Councillor Andy Roberts said there may be more than one loud noise causing residents in his ward, Warnden Villages, distress, with one in particular going on for more than two years. Residents have taken to social media to complain about a loud bass noise that they say has vibrated through their houses, shaking mirrors, pictures and windows and affecting their hearing. They said the noise had become particularly loud in recent days often between 6.30pm and 8pm every night, and affecting residents, including in the Harley-Bakewell area. The most speculated culprit is rumoured to be a car with a particularly loud stereo bass. One resident told us they understood it was a car stereo and had been heard in their area for a couple of weeks. Councillor Roberts said... This particular one is understood to be an old Renault, with the noise coming from the stereo. But there is another noise, likely not to be this one, which has been going on and off for the last two years. That one usually happens towards the end of the summer. There have been all sorts of theories. One is that it is a grain dryer machine, and because of the pitch, you get a rumbling noise that can be heard in the southern end of Warnden Villages. The other, which seems less likely, is that it comes from the hospital. We get helicopters flying in, but that is not likely to be the cause either. The persistent one people have talked about, the tone of the, of the vibration, as being an elephant's grumbling noise that could be heard for miles. It's a nuisance, but not above the threshold of what is allowed. 
I'm glad there is attention on this, as that will help us get to the bottom of it. If the Worcester News can help us locate it, we can put it right. A school in Worcester has shut after a coronavirus outbreak. Northwick Manor Primary School sent home key worker children from years one, two, three and six, but have decided to shut completely. Dr Catherine Cobain, Director for Public Health for Worcestershire, said, We have been advised of several confirmed coronavirus cases at the school. The cases were quickly identified by public health and the school continues to be supported. The relevant bubbles have been asked to self-isolate as a precautionary measure on the advice provided from public health. All children within the bubbles will continue their learning through remote access. The whole school has closed from Wednesday and will be professionally deep cleaned as a precaution and parents contacted by the school regarding reopening. A plan to build affordable housing on a former city golf course was backed by councillors despite traffic concerns. Social housing provider Platform Housing Group had its plan to build a mix of flats, homes and bungalows on part of the old Tolodyne golf course, backed by the City Council's planning committee at a meeting on Thursday of last week. The homes would be a mix of five two-bed flats, a three-bed bungalow, six three-bed homes and four four-bed homes. The latest plans come after permission to build nine four-bed homes expired, having been approved in 2011. During the meeting, City Mayor Councillor Joe Hodges said, Here we are asked to balance the desperate need we have in this city for social housing with the concerns of local people who live in the area and their quite understandable concerns of change and what is going to happen and what this development will bring to their locality. I do feel that those concerns have been addressed and I am happy to support 16 homes being built on this land. Several neighbours in the fairway, the road which the new homes would be accessed from, have said they were concerned by increased traffic, especially entering onto and exiting from the already very busy Tolodyne Road. Other neighbours have questioned whether the homes are needed when plans for affordable housing in nearby Rose Avenue has already been approved. Several objections have been submitted against the plan by local residents most concerned by the increase in traffic and the noise and disturbance if the homes are allowed to be built. Highways officers at Worcestershire County Council raised no objection. Platform said the number of planned affordable homes corresponded with the council's housing policies and there would be no overlooking issues. Plans to build homes on the land proved controversial when they were first submitted more than 10 years ago. Tustin Homes submitted plans in 2010, but withdrew them only three months later. The plan was put forward again later that year and backed by the Council's planning committee early in 2011. 
At the time, Warnden Parish Council had warned the plan would be the start of developers chipping away at the huge green space to build more homes. And here's a letter to the Worcester News from Abanda Hawkins, who is the specialist lead for counselling and well-being from the Royal National Institute for the Blind. And I thought perhaps this letter might be of interest. And she writes, Sir, 2020 was a difficult year for everyone. Though there is hope on the horizon, starting 2021 in lockdown is not how most people wanted to ring in the new year. It is understandable that many of us are feeling down and in need of a little extra emotional support. The situation is especially challenging for the more than 2 million people in the UK living with sight loss. Many have faced anxiety, sadness and even fear about the unique challenges they have experienced, such as problems with social distancing, shopping and without guidance and isolation from losing tactile contact with friends and family during lockdown. That's why the RNIB launched emergency mental health sessions for local blind and partially sighted people in October. The sessions are completely free and offer people with sight loss the opportunity to speak to a counsellor for an hour over the phone about however they're feeling and any problems that are on their mind. It doesn't have to be about their sight at all. We know that the next few months might be tough for many, so we want to remind you that RNIB is here to help. If you or someone you know could benefit from speaking to someone, please call our helpline, which is 0303-123-9999. We can set up a chat within 36 hours and the service can be used as many times as needed. No one with sight loss has to suffer on their own. Blind and partially sighted people deserve the same expectation of mental well-being as everyone else. That's why RNIB will always be here. And I'll repeat that telephone number again. 0303 but of course, sight concern in Worcester is also available to you. And we hope we can keep you up to date and abreast of what is going on locally. Dog walkers and golfers are reportedly ignoring the lockdown rules in Worcester. A large group of people with dogs have reportedly been meeting every day on Perdiswell Park. Meanwhile, police have received multiple reports of golfers using the Raven Meadow golf course, despite it being closed. Councillor Marjorie Bissett of St Stephen's Ward said, I disapprove of any breaches of the lockdown in general. I have heard of particular problems at the golf course and the park. We are lucky to have these wide open spaces and I believe the people of St Stephen's are as decent and law-abiding as any, but you will always have a few people who bend the rules. 
West Mercia police say they are out and about engaging and educating people and urge people to report any breaches to them via their website. Superintendent Steph Brighton said, we all have a responsibility to follow both the regulations and the guidance to protect the NHS and save lives. We are confident that the majority of people in Worcester will continue to act responsibly, respecting the rules and guidance and playing their part to keep communities safe and make a difference. We're grateful to everyone who is working with us and complying with the regulations as we know, it's a very difficult time. We are out and about engaging and educating people, encouraging them to do the right thing to ensure we are doing our bit to prevent the spread of this deadly virus. If members of the public fail to do so, or in instances where people are knowingly putting others at risk by flouting the law, we will use the powers available to us. Should anyone see breaches of the regulations, we would ask them to report it to us via our website as this information is passed to our officers. And you already have the phone number for that. So I'm going back now to the story about the care home deaths. A councillor has said 15 deaths at a city care home in her ward are absolutely appalling. Worcestershire County Councillor Pat Agar whose division covers Perry Manor Care Home and is a member of the Authorities Health Overview and Scrutiny Commission Committee, said the chief problem all along has been care homes and the way in which people have been left exposed and vulnerable, and it is not good enough. Lessons should have been learnt from the first wave. There is no excuse. They are like collateral damage in this situation, and it is not good enough. And immoral. The worry now is if it happens in other care homes. If it happens in one, just how easy is it to happen in others? The home said that 15 residents had died who had tested positive and a small number of other residents died from other causes. David Ashbolt, the Care UK's regional director, uh, sent his condolences and expressed the thanks that the team um, had received messages and gifts from relatives and the local community. Dr Catherine Cobain, Director of Public Health for Worcestershire, said Worcestershire County Council is working with Public Health England Midlands to support Perry Manor following the outbreak, that uh, management procedures were being followed, cases isolating, and visiting restricted, uh, and Worcestershire County Council had been contacted, but no one had been in response. And my final story is actually rather sad. A mum repaid a widow's kindness by stealing the heartbroken woman's wedding ring, custom made for her by her late husband. Lily Maguire maintains she did not steal the ring, cash and mobile phone from the retired victim. The 23-year-old of Bromsgrove Road, Droitwich, was convicted of theft following a trial at Worcester Magistrates Court and sentenced on Thursday. 
Maguire stole the ring, cash, and a black LGK20 phone with a com- combined value of £130 from Shirley Sutton in Droitwich on November the 23rd, 2019. In a victim impact statement read by prosecutor Shafqua Reyes, Mrs Sutton said, Lily has betrayed my trust. The victim had fed Maguire while her son had also given her clothes so that the defendant had become quite settled in her home. Mrs Sutton added, I trusted her in my house, looked after her, and then for her to steal from me like this made me feel very annoyed to the point I never want to see her again. There's no going back from this. The widow added, This is my wedding ring from my late husband. I can't put a value on this, as he had it made for me 35 years ago. This was of great sentimental value. As he died in 2015, it's one of the few things I have left of him and of what he did for me. She described the ring, which she never got back, as a gold band with hearts engraved on it. Maguire had no previous convictions and was described by the probation officer as living a transient lifestyle and as having been a victim of domestic abuse, although this was not a feature of her current relationship. Maguire was born in Hungary, but came to the UK when she was three. But she has no national insurance number, and as a result has not been able to claim benefits. Her father doesn't exist to her, she said. Meanwhile, the defendant's mother, who lives in Umbersley, split from Maguire's father when her daughter was 11 or 12. Maguire is mother to a three-year-old son, but told the probation officer she had nothing to offer the child. Maguire also suffers from anxiety and attempted suicide by overdose in January last year, the officer reported. Magistrates handed Maguire a nine-month community order to include 10 rehabilitation activity requirement days. She was also placed on a two-week electronically monitored curfew between 7pm and 7am and ordered to pay compensation of £130. So, it just remains for me to sign off Elizabeth Hill, but to thank John Plush for his recording abilities today and to hope you all have a good week and we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. The following deaths have been announced in the past week and I will remind you that even when a a funeral date is mentioned. Funerals at the moment are all by invitation. So if you haven't been contacted by the family of the deceased, then attendance will not be possible. And in fact, some announcements don't even include the date of the death. Um, But this time I'm actually going to read them not in the order of funerals but actually in the order in which people died. The first is Tracy known as T Hubbard who passed away on January the 8th. Um, Donations if desired to mind 
can be sent to EJ Gubbery and Son, 6870, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Cyril Fagents passed away January the 8th, uh, private cremation, and you're invited to light candles in his memory on the 25th of January, which actually was yesterday, Monday, at six o'clock. Pamela Mary Alice Mazone passed away also on the 8th of January. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to the hospice in Wildwood Drive, Worcester, WR52QT. John Samuel Sears passed away on the 10th of January. His service will be on the 1st of February. Um, donations for Cancer Research UK can be sent to EJ Gumry and details as before. Patricia, known as Pat Garnham, passed away January the 11th. Her funeral service will have been on uh, January the 29th. Um, and donations for uh, the work of Worcester Stroke Group, which can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, telephone 01905 748811, payable to the Stroke Association. Gladys Irene Evans passed away January the 12th. Her funeral will have taken place on January the 28th. Donations for the Isle of Wight Donkey Sanctuary can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. Emily Vicky Nay Andrews Dawson passed away January the 13th. The funeral will have taken place on January 29th, but donations for Alzheimer's Society can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Uh, details as before. And the family are thanking all staff at Perry Manor for the wonderful care she received. Uh, Alan Stallard, no date of death, but his um, uh, funeral service will be on February the 8th with donations to Down's Syndrome Association uh, and doesn't give a funeral director. Uh, right, Linda Kathleen, known as Sister T, Ted Stone, who was um, old sister at Worcestershire Hospital many years ago, uh, passed away on January the 14th. Her funeral will be on February the 9th, as before, invited family and friends only. Uh, donations for RNLI or Midlands Air Ambulance can be sent to EJ Gumrain's son. Details as before. Alec Charles James passed away January the 10th. His funeral service will be on the 2nd of February. Donations um, for Seven Valley Railway, payable to SVR Charitable Trust or Slimbridge Wetlands Trust, payable to WWT. Sent to Co-op Funeral Care. Telephone number is 01905 
double two one three seven. Frederick Hickman, QPM, ex Detective Chief Superintendent, passed away January the sixteenth. Um, donations for Alzheimer's Society can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son details as before. Barbara Vera Mushen passed away uh, on the 12th of January. Her funeral service will be on February the 2nd. Donations, if desired, for Parkinson's UK can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Gordon Richards passed away on January the 8th. Um, a bit out of sync there. Um, funeral service on Tuesday, February the 2nd. Donations to St Richard's Hospice can be sent to AV Band Funeral Director. Um, Margaret Ann Benson passed away January the 7th. Her funeral service will be on February the 4th. Uh, donations to St Richard's Hospice uh, can be sent to um, the hospice or EJ Gummery and Son details as before. And finally, Kath, known as Kathleen Wheeler, nay guest, who passed away the 17th of January. Uh, she was uh, formerly of Bowling Green Garage in Poet. Funeral service on the 5th of February. Um, donations to the Injured Jockeys Fund can be sent to the Door Brothers, the Apostolic Hall, By Street, Ledbury, HR8 2AA, telephone 01531-636666. And that concludes all of the obituaries announced in the past week. And our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently.